Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, we begin uh, the last message in the book of James. It's been a 16-week journey through James's letter. And so before we examine the last two verses of the book of James, we're going to go back and review what he has taught us over these four months uh, together. I began in message number one with a preview of the themes chapter by chapter that we would cover in the book of James. So we're going to go back and now review those chapters uh, and the themes that we found. The whole book is about real faith. Not counterfeit faith, not false faith, but real faith. What does real faith look like? And so we saw evidences in every chapter of a dimension of real faith. Uh, and the, the title of the entire series was Make It Real. And we want your faith in Christ to be real faith, as do I. So let's go back to chapter 1. And we saw then James speak about real faith begins with real commitment. James 1, verses 3 and 4. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, which means complete and balanced in every segment in its place. You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Real commitment. Our faith begins with that commitment to Jesus Christ. There's such a misunderstanding in our churches today that you come to faith by simply agreeing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. Well, even uh, James says, the demons know that. It's more than intellectual knowledge. It's a heart issue. And real faith begins with real commitment. Have you made a commitment of your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? That's real faith. And our faith grows as we go through testing and we learn the lessons that God has for us in the journey. Uh, there is teaching that's very popular today that God's purpose is to, to rescue you from pain and struggle and difficulty. That the Christian life is all about being above that, having victory over that, being able to be an overcomer over all that. Well, God does give us victory. God does help us to be overcomers. But God never promises to rescue us or, or to remove from our lives those things that are painful, that are struggles, that are difficulties. In fact, he has a purpose for them. He, he intends to grow our faith during those times of struggle, difficulty, and testing. 
And so if you hear a teaching that says God's purpose is to remove difficulty from your life, you need to understand, even if that's appealing to you, it's not biblical. It's not right. You need real faith that begins with real commitment. And then in chapter 2, he talks about real faith has real evidence. Real evidence. Look at verses 17 and 18. So you see, James said, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. In other words, it's not the real thing. If, if faith doesn't change you, it's not real faith. Verse 18. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say... How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. In other words, it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, it, it goes together. They complete each other. Faith and works are a unified truth in the life of the Christ follower. Because if faith is real... Faith that saves us also transforms us. It changes us. Real faith enables us and empowers us to think and to talk and to act more and more like Jesus. Through the happy times and the hard times and everything in between, for the Christ follower has real faith, the Holy Spirit produces real evidence that becomes visible to others who are a part of their lives. Real evidence. Well, chapter 3, he talks about real faith produces real grace. Real grace. Here's what he says, James 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It begins in the heart, in other words. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. In other words, a person who has real faith that produces real grace doesn't have to be right all the time, doesn't have to have his or her way all the time. Are you following with me? It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. It's authentic. It's real. Uh, well, let me put it this way. Grace extinguishes grumpiness and produces joy, gentleness, and kindness that's genuine and it's authentic. It's not an act. It's not something you put on to be churchy. It comes from the heart. It's first of all pure. It's real and genuine. And I cannot tell you how desperately that is needed in our culture today. Have you noticed how very common and socially acceptable it's become to be mean and critical and caustic? Anybody else see that besides me? I mean, it's just the way our culture has become. From top to bottom, it's just taken on a, a, a mean spirit. 
And while that is tragic, it gives us an opportunity as Christ followers who live a life like James describes in chapter 3, verse 17, a life that's pure, a life that's gentle, a life that's kind, a life that's unselfish, a life that produces real grace. And the light of Christ shines more brightly in the darkness than it could had the darkness not become so real. So if joy and peace and gentleness and mercy are not common, dominant characteristics in your life as a Christ follower, you need to do a real faith assessment. You need to see if the faith that you have is the real thing. Because James says real faith produces real grace that has all of these things that make Jesus known. Well, that's chapter 3. Chapter 4, James taught us about real humility. Real humility. Uh, Look at chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. I love the first sentence of verse 5. It asks a very important question. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? I think that's a pretty good question myself. Many of us have been studying the Bible for years and years. I've taught it here for almost 33 years. And do you ever wonder why some people hear the teaching of Scripture over and over and over again and there's not really any change? You know why? Because we don't take it seriously. We hear it and we understand it, but we don't obey it. Listen, the words of Jesus... The words of the Apostle Paul, the words of Peter, the words of John, and all the other writers in scriptures, including James, those are true. Those are real. Those are meant to be transformative in our lives. So James asks in chapter 4, verse 5, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Now understand what James is saying here. If you are a true Christ follower, if you have true faith, the moment you made that commitment of your heart, mind, life, and future to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Say amen now. The Holy Spirit came to take up residence in your heart. The the faith that saves us transforms us, not by our own efforts, but by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, the Spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And that's not of ourselves. Verse 6, and he gives grace generously. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Can I just be honest enough to say that there is a lot of pride and arrogance in our culture today? There's a lot of arrogant, selfish people, and may I be even bolder to say that there's way too much of it in God's church today, and pastors are generally the worst. There is to be humility, not pride, not arrogance, but humility. Jesus 
was humble. The King of kings and Lord of lords, God incarnate, walked among us, and he was humble. How much more his people must take that seriously. And that's what James says in verse 7. So, because all of that's true, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the reality, folks. The devil is real. Say amen there. The scripture says he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that imagery spiritually is true. The devil is real. He's prowling about. He's looking for those that he can devour. But then the scripture also says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit is greater than that roaring lion that would seek to devour. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He may come after you to pull you down. He may come after you to discourage you. He may come after you to try to to disempower your faith, but you are not helpless against them. I am not helpless against the devil and his demons because the Holy Spirit lives in my heart and yours if you're a Christ follower. And so we can resist him. And when a Christ follower fully grasps and fully embraces who they really are in Christ, then there's no need to be proud. There's no need to be arrogant. There's no compulsion to be selfish. And proud, arrogant, selfish people are usually that way because of a deep insecurity in their heart. And because they're struggling to figure out who they are. But for the Christ follower, we need to understand and embrace fully that though we are unworthy, though we were we are sinful. Though we have failed, by God's grace, through faith, we are a child of the King. We belong to him. We are a part of a royal priesthood, a lineage from heaven. And we don't deserve it. We are not worth it, worth it, but we have possession of it as the free gift of God through grace in Christ. And so we don't have to prove anything to anybody. We don't have to try to impress anybody to be important. We are important to God. And so instead of living our lives trying to grab for ourselves and and, and make our own way, if we trust in Christ, if we have real humility, God will make a way where there is no way. That's chapter 4. And then the final chapter, chapter 5, he talks about real endurance. As a Christ follower on that journey of the the journey of sanctification, there is real endurance. And here's what he says in verse 11 of chapter 5. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Real endurance. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the sower? If you're not familiar with that parable, uh, Jesus talked about 
uh, a farmer who would go out to sow seed. And some of his seed he would throw on hardened ground, and it never took root. Nothing ever came of it. And then some of the seed he threw on soil that was rocky. And the, the plant would sprout up, but because it didn't have deep roots, the sun would shine upon it and the heat would come upon it and it would die and wither. And then he said some of the soil was rich and fertile and the seed that fell on that soil would take deep roots and it would grow and it would bring a harvest of a hundredfold. And then he, he applied that to the gospel. Some of the gospel seed falls on hard soil. Nothing comes of it. Others fall upon rocky soil, and it springs up quickly. But when the heat of everyday living comes upon it, it withers and dies. It wasn't real. It wasn't lasting. It didn't endure. But the, the gospel that falls upon the rich, fertile soil of people's surrendered hearts will bring a harvest of righteousness. What, you see, what James is saying here is that real faith doesn't flare up and fizzle out. Real faith endures. Real faith carries the load. When it gets heavy, when it gets hard, they don't quit. They call upon the strength of the Lord and they endure. That's what Job did. And in your life and mine, in your faith journey and my faith journey, there are going to be times when things get hard and we can understand what God's doing. We, we can just see how he's trying to grow us. And then there'll be other times when it gets hard and heavy and we won't understand what God is doing until later on. And then we can look back and see, all right, I couldn't see it when it was happening, but now I get it. Now I see what God was trying to do. And then there will be still other times when things will get hard. And you won't know until you get home to heaven why God did what he did or allowed what he allowed. But God uses all three of those times to help you endure. Real endurance. Real faith through the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to endure all things. Well, that's the five chapters of James. And so today, we come to the last two verses. The last two verses. I find them very interesting because uh, I love the letters of the Apostle Paul. I love when Paul writes, he will end his letter with a warm greeting. He, he often names some of the believers by name, and he he encourages them and, and speaks a blessing over them, and then his letter is done. James doesn't do that. James doesn't even say goodbye. He just takes a sharp turn in the last two verses and teaches them one more profound truth. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Let's look at them one at a time. Here's verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back. Now before we complete the sentence with verse 20, let's dig into what he's saying here. Uh, 
there are two very differing interpretations or conclusions that scholars and Bible students through the years have drawn about who James is referring to here when he says, if someone among you wanders away. And you'll see in verse 20, he says, if they're brought back, they're saved from death. So the question is, are the people who wander away, are they, are they true Christ followers or are they not Christ followers? And because he says that if you bring them back, you save them from death, my conclusion is they are not true Christ followers because if Jesus saves you, he keeps you. If you are truly born again, you cannot get unborn again. If, if you are truly a child of God by real faith, then you will always be a child of God because your salvation is not based upon your works, it's based upon your real faith. And the whole book of James is explaining what that real faith looks like. But I believe what James is saying here is that there are some among a body of believers, even this body of believers, that may be in the church and involved in the church and hear the truth of God in the church, but they never have real faith. They've got it here, but they don't have it here. That's why I go back to chapter 2, verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead. It's useless. James has been telling us for five chapters, there's a real difference, there's a profound difference between real faith and false faith, between genuine faith and counterfeit faith. One real faith saves and transforms. False faith does not. And this is not just James who's saying this. Jesus himself warned of this. Go with me on the screen to Matthew chapter 7. These are some of the most chilling words of Jesus. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Does this sound a lot like James? On judgment day, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. In other words, we did all the, the religious stuff. We did all the churchy things. But I will reply, Jesus said, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Here's what I think James and Jesus is saying. There are those in the midst of the gathering of believers who will present themselves as Christ followers, who will claim to be Christ followers, maybe even believe themselves to be Christ followers, but they've never put real faith in Jesus. And the evidence of that is the lack of, the absence of a transformed life by the Holy Spirit of God. They have religion, but no relationship. 
And can I just say, you don't want to face Jesus if you just have religion and no relationship. So how do we know? How do we know if our faith is real? The book of 1 John is almost entirely dedicated to that subject. So let me read just a little bit of it to you. And it's powerful, convicting truth. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. The Apostle John says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous. In other words, when they do what saved people should do, it shows they're saved people. The proof is in the life, not just in the words. It shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, and the, it translates there from a Greek verb that indicates perpetual action, continuing action, a pattern of life, all of us sin. Can I get an amen there? All of us sin. We still have a fallen nature. But what he is saying here is it's their pattern of life. You look at their life and it's the common thing that you see. They keep on disobeying the teaching of the word of God. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, to change that evil bent that's within each one of us. Verse 9, those who have been born into God's family by real faith do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. Again, there's that... Uh, perpetual sin, continuing motion. They can't keep on sinning. Why? Because they are the children of God. And then verse 10. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Again, Faith that saves us also transforms us. And James says, when one wanders away from the truth and then is brought back, in other words, uh, by the, the love and the actions and the words of those who have real faith in the body of Christ, those who have wandered away, that never had real faith to begin with, when they are brought back to the body of believers, when they come back to the fellowship of the, the people of God, when they begin to hear again the Scripture taught and applied and they see it borne out in the lives of the brothers and sisters of the fellowship and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and at some point a light comes on and they understand they never really had faith to begin with. They didn't have the real faith that James talks about. They were churched. They had religion, but they didn't have Jesus in their heart. I don't know how many of you in this service would have been around our church long enough 
to know a, a former deacon in our church named Tommy Timmons. Uh, we've been here 30 plus years and he was in the church when we came. And when, when we first came to the church, Tommy was one of the most negative, grumpy, complaining people I'd ever met in my life. He is just one of those guys, and there are a few deacons like that, thankfully not in our church anymore, but I mean, he was just one of those gripers. Nothing was ever good enough. And as we began to worship together and teach the Word of God, that light that I was talking about came on in Tommy's mind and heart. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, I've been in church for years. I've been a deacon for years. But the Lord has shown me I'm not saved. And Tommy gave his heart to Jesus. He put real faith in Jesus. And you know what happened to that grumpy, complaining, never good enough man? God turned him into one of the sweetest guys. And until his very last day on this earth, Tommy Timmons was one of my best friends and my biggest supporters, not because I'm worthy, but because he fell in love with Jesus. He got real faith. And so the question I'm asking, and I'm not trying to make anybody who's truly born again doubt their salvation because they're not perfect. None of us are perfect, including this preacher, right? But it's not about being perfect. But do you have a heart relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you fallen in love with Jesus? When we sing these songs of adoration and worship and praise, does it move your heart more than just the beautiful music? Does it stir you because you love the one we're singing to? Do you have real faith. And I want to urge you, if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't have real faith, don't put it off any longer. Don't let one more holiday season go by without coming to know the one, the only one who can save you. If you have life that's not all about you, it's because Jesus has changed you. Because when he changes you, it's not all about you anymore. It's not all about what you want and you think and you prefer and you like because you're not the king of your heart anymore. He is. And it becomes what will glorify him, what will reveal him to others who don't know him, what would be pleasing to me. Like Hannah and Dalton sang so beautifully, just tell me what moves your heart, Lord, and I'll do it. I'll do it, I'll give it, I'll sing it, I'll share it, because I love you. That's real faith. So if someone wanders from the, the truth and they're brought back again, What's the result? James 5, verse 20. You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. It's a spiritual search and rescue mission. So how do you do that? Normally, we end the service with a prayer time. We're not going to do that today because I've got more to teach you. 
Some of you are clock watchers. But I want to tell you how to do that. And if you need prayer, come by the hospitality room and Cindy and I'll pray over you. But I want, to, I want to talk to you about how do you go after those. Maybe there's somebody that came to your mind, a family member, a relative, a friend, a former church member, and, and God just put them on your heart as I've been talking about this. How do you approach them? How do you relate to them? How do you try to bring them back? I'm going to close out quickly with five principles. I want you to hear them, and I pray that we'd all put them into practice. Here's the first one. Show them unconditional love rather than judgment and condemnation. Because if we come across as self-righteous and judgmental and condemnatory, listen, we'll lose any future opportunity to talk to them about the truth. So no matter what they're doing, no matter what sin they may be in, no matter how far they have, have strayed from the truth of God, we don't need, there's only one judge. And what we need to do is show them unconditional love, even though they know where we stand, they know what we believe, but they need to see the love of Jesus in us. Here's the second. Don't apologize for or compromise your clear biblical convictions. I'm not talking about your preferences or, or your political whatever. I'm talking about clear teaching of Scripture. Don't compromise those and don't, don't apologize for them. But listen, don't try to force them upon people who don't want to listen. Because see, here's the deal. We're talking about matters of the heart. Follow me on this. We're talking about matters of the heart. And the heart has a lock on it that can only be opened from the inside. And no matter how much you try to beat on the door of their heart or try to barge in, if it's locked on the inside, you won't get through. They have to be willing to unlock it and open the door and let you speak and show truth to them. So don't apologize for or, or compromise your convictions, but don't try to force your way in. Here's the third. Talk about your walk with the Lord. Be unashamed of it. Mention it when it's natural to do so. But ask the Holy Spirit to tell you when you've said enough. When you've said enough. Because some, some people may only be willing or able to take in a bite of truth at a time. And if you try to shove the whole meal down their throat, they'll never invite you back to the table. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Talk about Jesus, but don't try to shove him down anybody's throat. Instead, do the fourth one. Pray diligently. Pray diligently for the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do and you can never do. Change their heart. Change their heart. Never minimize the power of prayer. It may take years, but don't give up praying. Don't quit loving. Don't quit sharing. And then the last, 
Be patient and prayerful for as long as it takes because God doesn't work on your schedule or mine. He works on his schedule. The book of James, real faith, 